There's a story that uh, comes out of the World War II era when the Nazis began their air assault on the city of London in 1940, and that lasted through 1941. But the citizens of London, uh, in response to that, they set up an emergency system of air raid sirens that would go off um, whenever the, the German attack uh, was on the way. Well, children were even sent away by train to other towns. As you could imagine, their parents and families wanted to keep them safe from the falling bombs. Well, before all of that could be set up, um, the story goes that there was a little girl who was returning home uh, when the sirens began to go off and she dropped her books and ran home just as fast as she could. Once she was there, her dad scooped her up in his arms and rushed her and the rest of the family away uh, to the nearest shelter. Well, there they huddled in, in the darkness with other families that had gathered there in the shelter um, as they overheard the terrifying sounds of the bombs that were falling and you could imagine the fear that would well up in the human heart. Well, the little girl clung to her father and she cried out to him, Daddy, can we go somewhere where there isn't any more sky? In her mind, the sky was full of scary threats and sounds, and she wanted to be somewhere where none of that was uh, an issue. She wanted to be free from a place where there was a sky full of scary planes that were dropping bombs. Now, the bottom line is, I think that somewhere along the way over these last several months and weeks, all of us have felt like that to some degree. Perhaps we've felt like the sky is falling as we consider the state of affairs in our country and in our society. And really, we wonder, is there any place where we can really feel safe? And one of the questions that's being asked now by both believers as well as unbelievers is this question. What in the world is going on in our world? Because for so long, we've enjoyed a relative peace, a relative stability that seems to have evaporated almost overnight. We no longer feel safe in our world. Instability now plagues our world in ways that we've not witnessed in our lifetimes. And it's led to a massive wave of fear and anxiety. Just this week, I, I read an article in Time Magazine, and the title got my attention, but uh, it was this. The coronavirus seems to spare most kids from illness, but its effect on their mental health is deepening. And there was a line in this article that read, and I quote, living in a universe that's already out of their control, children can become especially shaken when the verities they count on to give the world order, such as the rituals in their lives, the very day-to-dayness of living, when all of that gets blown to bits. That, 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 that line, the verities of their lives, were blown to bits. That kind of caught my attention. What are the verities of life? Uh, it's, it's an expression that refers to that which is solid. It's the solid ground that we stand upon. It's the things that we look to in life to provide us with confidence. Uh, often the things that we take for granted until they're gone. Well, 
In times like these, we wonder where our world is headed. But let me tell you something. As believers, the verities of our lives, the truths, the constants that we hang our hopes upon, folks, they don't have to be blown to bits. Not if your hope is in Jesus Christ. Not if your confidence and your hope is in the reign, the rule, the sovereignty of God over all of life. So if you've got your Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. Because the sovereignty of God and the rule of Jesus Christ is the number one theme in this book of the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 1. If you've ever found yourself struggling to live out your faith in the midst of pressure, uh, as the age seems to be becoming more and more secular in nature, if that's the case for you and you wonder, how now shall I live? Well, the first several chapters of the book of Daniel are a must-read for you. Because one of the greatest and most wonderful truths that were taught in the 12 chapters of Daniel is that the kingdoms of this world are passing away and the kingdom of heaven is coming to pass. And folks, the time is coming when all the kingdoms of this world will belong to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that you and I can have confidence in. It's an unshakable verity that we're given in the pages of Scripture. That's why uh, one person has said it this way, we Christians of all people should be the most calm. Believers ought to be the calmest people on the planet. We have no right to run around this world in a frenzied state of activity, staying up all night, pacing the floor, frantically worrying about what's going to happen next. Why? Because, listen, we know that God in heaven rules the kingdoms of men. And our God is bringing history to history's intended conclusion. Uh, God is bringing history to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the time is coming, and I believe it's very, very soon when Jesus Christ is going to return for his church. And things are going to get worse on earth before they get better, but the time is coming when Jesus Christ is going to establish his kingdom upon the earth, and he's going to rule, and he's going to reign, and believers will get to reign with him. So in the book of Daniel, we're presented with the man, Daniel, who is a remarkable character in the Old Testament. He's a man who stood like an iron pillar in his day because the sovereign God of the universe was also the sovereign God of his life. And so Daniel is a man of courage, a man under fire, a man who swam upstream really against a heavy current of cultural opposition. And his story has great significance for us even today, especially when you consider the backdrop, the spiritual climate, the political climate, the moral climate that we're now living in. And Daniel's example of how to live and even thrive in the most godless of environments, this is a lesson that we certainly don't want to miss. Uh, so you're there in Daniel chapter 1. I want you to begin reading with me in the verse 1 here in Daniel chapter 1. And notice how we're introduced to Daniel and Daniel's three friends who are carried away into Babylon. They're living in a godless society, uh, pressured on all sides to conform. And that's a great threat to their faith. But rather than allowing the pressures of Babylon to lead them to compromise, Daniel and his three friends 
are going to remain calm, they're going to remain confident, and they're going to be courageous and bold because of the truth of who they serve, the Lord of heaven. So verse 1, the Bible says it was in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Bible says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Now, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Isn't that a wonderful statement right there? Daniel resolved that he would not compromise in his faith. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And the Bible says that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days, and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance, the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food, be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for ten days. Now watch this. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance, fatter in flesh than all the youths who ever ate the king's food. Let me tell you, this is the first time and the only time in history that a person has only ate vegetables and drank water, and they actually got fatter for it. <laughs> you remember some years ago, there was this big push. Oh, we got to do the Daniel fast, the Daniel fast. You know, there were books that were written, and you saw the book in uh, Lifeway, Christian stores. I think even secular bookstores picked up the Daniel fast, and people flocked to the bookstores to get this book because, wow, there's this secret in the Bible that just eating vegetables and drinking water will cause you to lose weight. Who'd have thought? Something this simple. But you know, the thing is, they didn't lose weight. They gained weight. So the Daniel fast is really a miraculous kind of a thing here. God is miraculously giving these Hebrew men favor in a place like Babylon. 
So the steward takes away their food and gives them vegetables. Verse 17, as for these four youths, now watch this, God gave them learning and skill. Babylon wanted to take them to school. Babylon wanted to indoctrinate them and tell them what they ought to think, what they ought to eat, how they ought to act, what they ought to believe, how they ought to worship. But even in Babylon, as these three and four Hebrew youths stood firm and resilient in their faith, God gave them what they needed. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, in this passage of Scripture, I find here an example of how believers can live in Babylon. Not just live in Babylon, but even thrive spiritually living in a Babylonian climate. So I want to speak from that subject in the time that remains this morning. So Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for the strength that you supply, the wisdom that you supply through your spirit. Lord, as your word is opened up before us this morning, my prayer is that you would speak into our hearts and lives for Christ's sake. Amen and amen. So Daniel, his faith survived the cultural climate of Babylon, but it even thrived in the midst of this kind of godless atmosphere. Now, in no way does that mean that his life was easy, because we find out in the book of Daniel that his faith was very much forged in the fire. In fact, his three friends are literally going to find themselves thrown into a furnace of fire in the third chapter. Daniel himself is going to find uh, himself in a difficult situation as he's attacked for his faith and he's thrown into a lion's den of sorts. But in the book of Daniel, we, we learn that even in the midst of the fire, God strengthens his servants. God gives wisdom to his servants. God uses the way that his servants respond to their adversity as a witness for his sake. And the main message that we take away from the book of Daniel, it's not so much that God delivers us and spares us from the fiery furnace, but that he delivers his people through the fiery furnace. Now, often you perhaps have felt that you've been in the fire, whether it's personally, uh, the church in our day, we feel like we're in the fire as we're living out our faith in an uh, increasingly hostile post-Christian culture. Do we retreat from this culture, or do we engage this culture? Uh, do we tuck tail and run, or do we rely upon the strength and power and wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and trust that he is in control and he knows what he's up to? Now, folks, let me tell you, Jesus promised that he's going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's confidence that you and I can live with. So Daniel and his friends find themselves in this Babylonian culture as they're, they're carried away into captivity. It wasn't something that they asked for, 
but they're going to serve God no matter what. And they're used greatly as the result of it. So through it all, their lives give great witness to the God of heaven. Now, I want to show you a few things here in this chapter as we consider uh, what it means to really thrive in a Babylonian atmosphere. And when I say that, let me just simply say this. Babylon as a city uh, was destroyed centuries ago. But the spirit of Babylon lives on. In fact, it's not inconsequential that the land of Shinar is mentioned there in verse number 2. If you're familiar with Old Testament history, you know that that phrase is used in Genesis chapter 11 uh, and is descriptive of this Uh, this building project that happened not long after the flood where man united against the God of heaven and determined to build a tower, uh, the heights of which would reach into heaven. And it was called the Tower of Babel. Babel means confusion. Babylon comes from Babel. And all throughout the 66 books of the Bible, Babel and Babylon is... uh, It's really descriptive of human society in rebellion against Almighty God. In fact, Babylon is going to be a major player in the last days, according to what we read in the book of Revelation. Not so much the literal city of Babylon as much as it is the empires of men. The empires of men, because of sin, because of the depravity of man, are always in rebellion and opposition to the God of heaven. The best of societies of men have always gone the route of Romans chapter 1. But the book of Daniel teaches us that our God is sovereign over it all, and he's bringing history to the feet of his son. And the establishment of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is something that the enemy hates It's something that man in his lostness and his blindness opposes, but the kingdom will come. And that's the hope that we as believers have. That's the hope that Daniel and Daniel's three friends have, and that's what leads them to standing firm and resilient in the midst of a pagan society. Notice with me to begin with here in this passage, uh, living in a place of exile. Uh, We see these believers here, They're living in a place of exile. The first couple of verses of the chapter sort of gives us the historical backdrop for the message of Daniel, the setting. Babylon had become the world's superpower. Judah was a mere shadow of what it had been. Uh, You remember from our time some weeks back in the book of Habakkuk, uh, who ministered a couple of decades before the arrival of Daniel, Habakkuk had warned that because of sin, because of disobedience, because of idolatry, uh, the Babylonians were going to come and they were going to invade and God's people would be carried away into captivity. Well, we're told that Jehoiakim is king in Judah when that happens. In the third year of Jehoiakim's reign, because of the sin and the apostasy of God's people, God delivers Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar as an act of judgment. And you can read the story behind this in 2 Kings chapter 24. Um, but, But as far as history goes, Jerusalem falls to Nebuchadnezzar in 605 B.C. He begins to carry the Jews away into captivity, and he does that in three stages. The first group, which was taken away immediately, uh, included only those from um, the Jewish nobility the descendants of David, the royal line, 
Daniel and his, his three friends are among that number. Two following deportations happened in 597 and then eventually 586, 19 years after the first wave of deportations, the Babylonians razed the city of Jerusalem to the ground, destroyed the temple, completely carried away the Jews into captivity, and they were held in captivity for 70 years, and it was an act of judgment on, on God's part because of the sin and the idolatry of his wayward people. The Jews had been warned over and over again through the prophets, going all the way back to Moses and the book of Deuteronomy, that if they persisted in disobedience and idolatry in the land, then God would give them over into the hands of their captors. And that's exactly what happens. Now, what I want you to see is that in verse 2, the Bible says that God was in control of the circumstances, even though it didn't feel like it to the Jews at the time who were wondering what in the world is going on. Notice the Bible says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. All of the difficulty, all of the, the unrest, and all of the captivity, it was that which was allowed by God because it served his sovereign purposes. Now Nebuchadnezzar, he's a proud guy. And he thinks that it's because of his strength and his might that he overthrows the Jews and carries them away. And Babylon is a great empire that he builds and he thinks he's responsible for it all. But you see, he's going to be taken to the woodshed himself and he's going to learn later on that God is sovereign, God is large, God is in charge. There is a God in heaven and Nebuchadnezzar ain't him. So he carries off Judah's nobility. That includes Daniel and Daniel's friends takes them to Babylon, takes utensils from the temple and places those utensils in the house of his God, whom history reveals to be Marduk, a Babylonian idol. But what I want you to understand from this is that eventually the sin and the idolatry of the people eventually exhausted the patience of God and God uses the Babylonians the most wicked and idolatrous nation on earth at the time. God uses them as an instrument of judgment. And the point is this, folks, sin always leads to exile. Uh, in a sense, this is, this is sort of a microcosm of what's happened to humanity since Genesis chapter 3 and the fall. Uh, all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the sadness and all of the division and all of the chaos that's descriptive of our time, it all can be traced back to the fountainhead of Genesis chapter 3 and the fact that humanity is lost in sin. Humanity is in exile from Almighty God. And man's greatest need is to be reconciled to his creator. He's alienated from his creator. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reconcile sinners to himself. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for those who were sinners. He came to those who were lost and in, in, and in exile. And thank God that there's hope for the fallen members of Adam's race. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a recipient of that gospel hope. And that's something you ought to be grateful for. And yet, here you have believers in Daniel and his three friends who were living out their faith in a place of exile. Not so much because of something that they themselves had done, but it was a circumstance that they were thrust into 
And yet they're serving God faithfully nonetheless. Reminds me of what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 as he begins his epistle. He says, to the elect exiles who were scattered abroad. <laughs> it's a reminder, folks, that as we're living in this world, every experience as, as believers that we have, it's soaked with a sense of exile. And the fact is, often we get too comfortable in the world as God's people. And, and if there's pain and if there's discomfort in your life as a believer, then you need to be reminded of the fact that, you know something, I'm not home yet. But the time is coming when Jesus is going to come again and I'm going to be with him for all of eternity. And he gives me grace and strength to endure no matter what. So, so here you have these believers who are living in a place of exile. Now notice the second thing. In addition to living in a place of exile... Daniel and his three friends faced the pressure to conform. Babylon constantly exerts its pressure upon God's people as they're living there. And you see this really through verse number 7. And this chapter illustrates the fact that there's always been various pressures upon the people of God to compromise in the area of their faith. The world around us exerts pressure on us every day in, in subtle ways and in many not-so-subtle ways. Daniel and his friends, history tells us that they were perhaps no more than 14 to 16 years of age when they were carried away into captivity. Now think about it. You've got these young teenage boys who are uprooted from their home. They're uprooted from their lives, uprooted from their families. Everything that they knew, they're carried away into a strange place. And they're surrounded by people who didn't believe what they believed, who didn't eat what they ate, who didn't live the way that they had lived their lives and been taught from God's word to live their lives. And they're facing all kinds of pressure. In fact, it's the same type of pressure that so many of our Christian young people even live with today. Think about those that go to college campuses. And the culture on those college campuses, secular college campuses, can be described as Babylonian at best. And they're constantly faced with the pressure to conform to the world and the world's ideals and the world's standards and the world's lifestyle choices and patterns. And, and if you do anything to swim upstream... Well, in today's cancel culture, the cultural tide turns on you fast. And so that's happening here in, in the book of Daniel. How are these boys pressured? Let me show you a few ways they're pressured. To begin with, they're pressured to conform in their thinking. You'll see in verse 4 that the chief of the eunuchs was commanded to teach these boys the literature and language of the Chaldeans. They were enrolled in a strict, rigorous three-year system of basically cultural brainwashing. They're introduced to the culture of Babylon. They're urged to embrace Babylon's ideas and beliefs. One person expressed it this way, Babylon would give them a first-class secular education in Babylonian language, philosophy, literature, science, history, and astrology. Religion would have been a part of the curriculum as well as the mythologies of Babylon. The greatness of Babylon's deities. The importance of those deities that dominated the ancient Near Eastern world. So the thing is, pressure. Pressure to conform in their thought process. Pressure to conform to the spirit of the age. Think the way we think. 
Now, that's not the only way that they're pressured. Notice next, they're pressured to conform in their lifestyle patterns. Not just their thinking, but in the way that they, they live. Uh, they're put on the meal plan of Babylon University. You need to think like a Babylonian, but that's not enough. Full indoctrination means that you have to eat and drink like a Babylonian. When in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. And so they're assigned a daily portion of the food that the king himself ate. Now, cultural studies will show you that it was their practice in those days. Uh, before the food was presented to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, that food had first been offered up as a sacrifice to Nebuchadnezzar's gods. So in a sense, by refusing the king's meal plan, Daniel and his three friends are saying, listen, we're not going to compromise in our faith. To do this uh, would be a, a complete uh, uh, disregard, disobedience for the law of God, the God that we serve. But beyond that, I think that Daniel just gets to the point where he says, you know something? I'm tired of being smothered by the culture of Babylon. He says, I may be living in Babylon, I may be in Babylon, but Babylon is not going to be in me. And so he's making this calculated decision that when he's faced with this pressure and this temptation to conform in his thinking, to conform in the way that he's living his life, he's saying, no, I'm going to serve God no matter what. A third way that they're pressured is simply this. These teenagers were pressured to conform in their worship. You'll notice that they have Jewish names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, but Babylon wants to give them a name. Babylon wants to change their names. Babylon wants to give them an identity, a secular identity. Daniel means God is my judge. Well, his name is changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protect my life. Bel was a Babylonian deity. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. His name is changed to Shadrach, which means Aku, another Babylonian deity. Aku is exalted. Mishael means who is what God is. Well, his name is changed to Meshach, which means who is what a coup is. Azariah means uh, the Lord is my helper. His name is changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, another Babylonian deity. So the point is Babylon had an identity that it wanted to attach to Daniel and his three friends. So Compromise, pressure in the area of their thought process, their worldview. Pressure in the area of the way that they live their life, their lifestyle patterns. Pressure in the area of who and how and what they worship. Folks, we face the same kind of pressure from the world around us today. The spirit of Babylon still lives on. This present world system and the satanic influence behind this present world system constantly puts pressure on us to conform. The world's constantly trying to press us into its mold. That's why Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is the mind renewed? It's renewed through the truth of the Word of God. It's renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit. I like how the New Living translates Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. 
Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into that culture without even thinking. Instead, fix all of your attention on the truth of God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. I saw an example of this very vividly this week. You know, baseball started back. It was neat to watch baseball. It was really weird to see the baseball games with those cardboard cutout fans in the stands. And, you know, you heard the, the sound of the former game. You know, they had to have some kind of sound in the stadium to give the players the effect that there were people in the stands where there wasn't anybody there. But I couldn't help but watch one of those games. Um, I think it was the San Francisco Giants, whoever they were playing. I think it may have been the Dodgers. But before the game... You know, you had all the players that were out there kneeling in protest. There was one player who chose not to kneel. I think his last name was Conrad or something like that. But I read his logic for not kneeling, and he said, you know, he said, I'm a Christian. He said, it's my personal conviction as a believer that the only person before whom I kneel is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, so I'm not doing this to offend anybody or make a statement or whatever. He said, I just don't believe in bowing the knee before anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ, who is my king was amazed at how social media and the social media mob went at him with a vengeance. Called him everything you can imagine. Folks, that's the spirit of Babylon right there. That's the same type of culture. It's the same type of attitude. It's the same type of pressure that Daniel and his three friends are facing here in this passage of Scripture. But they say, you know what? We're not going to bow the knee. We're going to, we're going to be calm. We're going to be confident. We're going to be courageous. So they're living in a place of exile, facing pressure to conform. Notice one final thing with me. Notice how they're obeying the principles of faith. <laughs> Oh, how I love how verse 8 simply says, but Daniel resolved. Daniel's mind was made up. Daniel determined deep within his heart that he was not going to bow the knee. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself, but that he would live a separated life, a life wholly consecrated to the one true God. See, he's prepared. As a believer, he's prepared and well-versed in the truth of God even long before he gets to Babylon. So you'll notice the resolution of his heart. Uh, he resolved he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meal plan, even though he was put under pressure to do so. And even though he's a young man, it would be easy for him to just go along with the crowd. Daniel determines that he's not going to do that. He's resolved deep within his heart. We would call this conviction. His conviction, his spine is not like a jellyfish. But he's, he's firm, he's resolved, he has conviction that's rooted in the truth of God's word, and he's not going to compromise. That's the resolve within his heart. That then leads to the courage of his actions. And since his name means God is my judge, we're able to see that this, this sort of is the way that Daniel lives his life all throughout his years in Babylon. He lives with this sense of divine accountability. He's determined that he's not going to defile himself. I love how verse 9 says that God gave him favor. The same thing is said down in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning. As in simple faith, they believed God, God gave them what they needed to survive the pressures of Babylon. 
How in the world are we going to survive the cultural climate today as God's people? Are our problems going to be solved through the ballot box come November? No, ultimately our problems are not going to be solved through the ballot box. Are our problems going to be solved by fighting each other and being divided and going back and forth? No, our problems aren't going to be solved that way. I'll tell you something. Listen, as we as God's people simply in faith No matter what the culture says, no matter what the White House says, no matter what local uh, uh, government says, no matter what anybody says by way of peer pressure, let me tell you something. As God's people, when we just simply resolve in our hearts, we're going to obey God. We're going to stand with God. We're going to be winsome about it. We don't have to, listen, I don't have to live. I love what Adrian Rogers said when he was standing on the uh, convention platform during the conservative resurgence. Adrian Rogers, in one of his convention messages, says, listen, he said, the Southern Baptist Convention don't have to survive. I don't have to be the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church. I don't even have to live, but I will not compromise the word of God. (laughs) A humble, winsome attitude, but one that's resolute. One who has their mind made up. I'm not going to compromise the truth. So you see courageous actions. You see a heart that's made up, a mind that's made up. Obviously, that leads then to the influence of his life. He's very influential in Babylon. You see, verse 17 says, God gave these young men learning and skill. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That becomes a major theme throughout the book of Daniel. The first six chapters really give us the history of Daniel's life in Babylon. The last six chapters, Daniel is presented with visions of world empires and ultimately the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ who's coming to set up his kingdom upon the earth and he's going to reign forever and ever and ever and we will be reigning with him as those who love him, serve him, and know him. The influence of Daniel's life is seen there in last, the last verse, verse 21. Daniel was there in the palace of Babylon. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, you know how long that would be? He's placed in Nebuchadnezzar's court in Daniel chapter 1. He dies. He's still serving God faithfully in the first year of King Cyrus. It's about 71 years So let's just suppose that Daniel's 14, 15, 16 years old when he's deported to Babylon. He's there, let's say, 70, 71 years. He lives to the ripe old age of 85, 86. And during those years in Babylon, most of his life, the vast majority of his life, he's living in a foreign place of exile. God doesn't take him home. He lets him live out his days in a godless pagan society, but he places him in a position of influence. And that's for God's sake. See, here's how God is sovereign even over the deportation of the Jews. Even though God was judging them, even though God was scattering them among the nations because of their disobedience, let me tell you what God was really up to in history. He was all about spreading the truth of his presence throughout the world. And so, Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was invading Judah. But let me tell you something. God was sending the Jews into Babylon. It's it's the divine presence that's invading Babylon. (laughs) Y'all didn't hear what I said. (laughs) 
So how can I have hope even though the church isn't meeting like we were? Even though we don't have large numbers in worship gatherings and can't do that right now. Let me tell you, the kingdoms of men are being invaded by the kingdom of God. The time will come, and I believe it's close when Jesus is going to come, and Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, and Jesus is going to rule and reign forever, and we're going to rule and reign with him as those who love and serve him. Would you stand with me for prayer this morning? How can we thrive? Not just live in a Babylonian climate, but how can we thrive in a Babylonian climate? Psalm 137 was a psalm that was written by the exiles there in Babylon. And that particular psalm says something like this, the exiles were weeping and talked about how they sat down by the rivers of Babylon. They hung their harps on the willow trees. Their tormentors and their captors were requiring of them to sing a song. And those exiles asked the question, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How can I worship in Babylon? That's the question that the exiles were asking. But the thing is, Daniel's going to give them the answer that they need. We'd ask ourselves the same question. How can we worship and serve God? And how can we be salt? And how can we be light? How can we be a church on mission? Under such difficult circumstances. By simply resolving to do what Daniel did. Remaining firm in our conviction. In our hope. Our confidence. Understanding that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. My life is hidden with Christ in God, which means I'm living out my life in a place of safety. Even though the sky seems to be falling, even though it seems like I'm in a fire of sorts, you may feel like you're in a fire of sorts. Our God is sovereign. Our God rules. And our God reigns. Daniel sent to a place of exile as a faithful servant of the Lord. But let me tell you about someone greater than Daniel sent into a world that was in exile, the Lord Jesus Christ, who throughout his 33 and a half years, not one split second did he compromise with the spirit of the age. Not one split second did he cave in to cultural temptation. He's a faithful high priest who's without sin, and yet he went to the cross to suffer and die for my sin and for your sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and exalted him and has given him a name that's above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus yet in your life? If not, why not now? Why not today? Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're watching online this morning, I want to ask you this simple question. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Have you been saved? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you have eternal life? Do you have hope? You can find all of that in Jesus Christ. Not circumstances. Not the world around you, not relationships, not social clout and status, but in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
Would you pray with me this morning and say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin and my need for you. I know that I am undone. I know that sin has led me to a place of exile from your presence, but I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins on the cross, that you rose again from the dead. And Jesus, I confess you as my Savior and Lord today. Save me. Come into my heart and life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And friend, no person who has ever turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith has he ever turned away. Lord, as elect exiles, your people, those of us who were saved, Lord, thank you for the strength that you supply in difficult times. Lord, use us in this time to be salt and light, whatever that looks like. Lord, to determine in our heart, like Daniel, we're not going to bow down to the gods of culture. We're not going to adopt the spirit of Babylon. But Lord, with humility, with faith and courage, we're going to stand and we're going to point the world around us to Jesus Christ. Would you empower us and use us as your people? Give wisdom to those who lead. Bless your people, Lord, and use your people as we're scattered in so many different ways and so many different places, Lord. Really, the only thing that we can do and what we need to be doing is praying and engaging those around us in personal evangelism. Would you empower us to do that, Lord, as your people? Lord, take these truths from your word, seal them up in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.